Hey everyone, Jim Thompson here. Welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted to say thank you so much to everybody for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and your generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. What should it look like to belong to God by belonging to one another? What should it look like to belong to God by belonging to one another? And again, there's so much packed into this question. And I'm not saying you've been thinking this your whole life, you've been scratching your head about this question, worded in this way, your whole life dying for an answer. But I am saying, I think this is a very succinct way to put words to what we all truly want. The real wants underneath the surface wants, and that's why we're asking it like this. What should it look like to belong to God by belonging to one another? We're gonna look at four truths that the early church would have confessed about themselves, and these four things are gonna help us understand what it should look like to belong to God by belonging to one another. <clears throat> so here we go. Number one, <clears throat> and we're gonna spend the most time here because this one is uh, super foundational. Uh, the early church would have confessed this about themselves, that <clears throat> we belong in covenant, and that means that we are bound to one another. We belong in covenant, and that means that we're bound to one another. <clears throat> now, obviously the word covenant is not in our passage, but it's one of the most important words and ideas in the whole Bible and throughout scripture, the word covenant is all about promise and relationship. And in Jesus, God has begun the final fulfillment of all of his promises for his people. And now, watch this in response to God's faithfulness in Jesus, God's people were not just individually or separately supposed to be in relationship to him, randomly and detached, but God's people were meant to be in covenant with one another as a part of their covenant relationship to God. They didn't selfishly just use each other when it was most beneficial for them. They didn't just call somebody when they needed something. It wasn't that kind of relationship. Sometimes I think that that's how we think about our relationships and our friendships, that they are transactional like that. But that's not the case for the early church, these people in Acts 2. Look down at verse 42. Look at the first verb, verse 42. They devoted themselves. I'm underlined, <clears throat> highlight, circle the word devoted. This is a promissory posture of commitment. So yes, look at the rest of the verse. They devoted themselves to covenant teaching and covenant eating and covenant praying, and we should be all about that. That's what the verse says, and I love it. But they did all of that because they were committed to each other as a dominant way to express their commitment to God. Now, <clears throat> I... I don't know your church, church upbringing. Maybe you grew up in church and never missed a Sunday. <clears throat> Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. But when I grew up in church, the only thing that I remember hearing when I was younger was, hey, <clears throat> this whole shabam here, this is about your individual relationship with God. These other people, they might have some individual things with God going on, but this is just about you. The spotlight's over your head. And I don't think that's what this passage is teaching at all. I think it's teaching that the way we connect to, relate to one another is one of the ways that we're supposed to connect to and relate to God. 
Look at verse 44. They had all things in common. Verse 45 says that they were always looking out for one another. Verse 46 says they, were, they filled each other's homes and hearts. They all knew that they were bound together as they were bound to Jesus. And in the Bible, <clears throat> that is covenant. That's the promise of covenant. And think about it like this. <clears throat> uh, this upcoming weekend, I get to do a wedding. <clears throat> now, if I stood up there <clears throat> and read wedding vows like this, how would this go if the vows were this? Do you take her to be your wedded wife? In health, but not sickness, because that's not convenient. For richer, but not poorer, because it's not financially prudent. From this day forward, until you find somebody just better, right? Because <clears throat> that would be a waste. Am I right? <laughs> that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? <clears throat> and we know that in our gut, because that's not marriage, because that's not covenant. And the opposite of those, those things should be true when we're talking about us as Jesus' people. We're called to be unswervingly devoted <clears throat> to one another as a part of our devotion to God. Also, covenant isn't a vague uh, additional synonym for promise. Covenant in the Bible is always Godward in its aim. And that's why this passage ends the way it does. Look, look down at verse 47 for a second. <clears throat> look, with praise to God. Thanks to him, worship to him. Covenant means, you ready for this? I love this. <clears throat> Covenant means that you and I, we all have the joy and the job of helping other people, hey, hey, pay attention to Jesus, our covenant king. That's what covenant means. And here's where I wanna be <clears throat> very, very, very clear. And I'm gonna try to say it as humbly and non-legalistically as I possibly can. If you're a follower of Jesus and you are dodging responsibility in a local church, like if you only sometimes come twice a month and you are staying disconnected because you know that's too messy and obviously your schedule is more important than other people's, and if you're not willing to give away your time and your energy and your heart to others who are trying to follow Jesus, what I'm saying is if you're doing all that, you're only going to be feeding the ache in your soul that longs to belong. You're just gonna be feeding the monster. Now hear me, <clears throat> I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not even saying it's gotta be this church. <laughs> I love this church. But there might be uh, a phenomenal Jesus-loving church that you drive past on your way here that you need to go be a part of. But I am saying that if you love Jesus, then you're gonna love what he loves and he loves his bride, the church, so much that he laid down his life for her and now we should follow suit. Now we should follow in his wake. <clears throat> this is what we're talking about when we talk about church membership. <clears throat> we're asking you to devote yourself to one another, like this passage, like the verb in 42. To be committed, to be all in, to sign a marriage covenant of sorts. And this is actually the reason behind why we have community groups and Bible studies and equipping classes and mission opportunities, not to keep you busy, to keep you distracted, because we want Acts 2 to be descriptive of us and how we relate to each other as we relate to God. Also, um, this is supposed to be uh, a sermon on church membership, which it is. I'm just kind of filing it under the language of belonging. And just a quick 
thing about my personal journey with thinking about church membership. In my 20s, I was like, huh, I really believe that church membership <clears throat> is a modern construct invented by churches in democratic capitalistic countries to keep tabs on who's tithing and who isn't. Like that's, <clears throat> that's what I thought in my 20s. And the more I studied scripture, the more I realized that that wasn't the case. Also, if it ever does turn into that, that's the same as for richer but not poorer because it's not financially wise. And that, that's garbage and that's not Christ. Rather, do you know what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4? He says, we are members of one another. In Jesus, you belong to me and I belong to you. And together, we belong to God. And in Paul's pastoral letters to the Timothys and Titus, you'll see that he's talking about local churches, not just the church in general, the universal church. He's talking about churches with lists of widows and lists of people and budgets and structure and meetings and pastors and deacons. He's talking about what we're talking about. Being a part of a local church is the way to be a part of the universal church. And it might seem far-fetched to you, but listen, what if that root desire in you to belong, what if God's practical response to that is something so seemingly surface level and silly as church membership? He already sent Jesus. Jesus is the fixed and eternal fulfillment of belonging, but what about the functional and experiential fulfillment of it? And I'm gonna roll the dice here and say that church membership isn't too far off from that. On a completely unrelated note, our next membership class is September 17, and you should sign up for that. You can do that with a QR code on the back of the chair in front of you, or you can find it online. Um, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we truly do want to invite you into that. We believe that there's freedom there and belonging there. Four truths of belonging. <clears throat> Number one, we belong in covenant, and that means that we're bound to one another. Number two, we belong as a family, and that means that we sacrifice for one another. Number two, we belong as a family, and that means that we sacrifice for one another. Now, not only is the, um, <clears throat> the breaking of bread in 42 and 46 here that bookends this passage a faint echo of Jesus' broken body sacrificed for us, but think realistically behind this passage. <clears throat> think realistically. They're meeting in homes, they're doing all this stuff, and if they're meeting in your home, you gotta, you gotta get ready. The person whose, whose house they're, they're coming over to, they gotta get ready, they gotta clean the house. Maybe they're meeting outside on the patio, they gotta clean the patio, they gotta move the furniture around, they gotta clean up the pet poop, they gotta do the stuff. Somebody's gotta make and bake the bread that we're breaking together, right? <clears throat> and what I'm telling you is it might sound trite, but all of these little things, they're all little sacrifices intended to point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And the reason that we're using the language of family here is because a healthy family sacrifices for its own members. And the rest of the New Testament uses familial language throughout to talk about the church. But a healthy family sacrifices for its own members. And that is literally how every single one of us is sitting here right now because your mama sacrificed pain in her body to bring you into the world, right? Just like Jesus sacrificed pain in his body to bring you into his new world, his new creation, to bring you into his family. And now we're called to reflect that in the way we love others. Prove it, Jim. I'd love to. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Ooh. Now, <clears throat> 
I don't know how you hear this, this verse. I don't know. Maybe you go, man, I know somebody who needs to sell some of their junk. Good grief. <laughs> Maybe you go, no, no, no. I have absolute rational, logical, deductive justification for the 73 pairs of shoes in my closet. And <clears throat> it's okay that those unused kayaks have hung in my garage for 19 years. That's fine. I'm going to get to them. Or you're thinking about like the gadgets <clears throat> under your bed that you're like, no, no, no. Uh, spring break next year, look out, <clears throat> that are just collecting dust. And you're trying to like <clears throat> mentally justify all that stuff. Now hear me, I'm not saying any of that stuff is evil, big fan of kayaking. <clears throat> I'm saying that there are people in this church in need and I'm just asking, are your kayaks worth more than their struggle? And I'm also <clears throat> absolutely saying that money and possessions are things that enslave and hold down American Christians for more faithfully following Jesus. They can be such idols for us. We, as American Christians, we crave, we long for security and safety and comfort and assurance. And we actually believe sometimes that stuff, having stuff will give us what Jesus already said he's gonna give us when he gave us the Holy Spirit. And that's messed up. And it stands in the way of the moral of the story. And that is that we are Jesus' family and that means we should be ready to sacrifice for one another, just like he did and just like this early church did. Now, if you'll indulge me just a minute, um, here's a little bit of my story as it relates uh, to this church. 28 years ago, <clears throat> this summer, I stepped into a gymnasium at Southside Christian School slash Southside Baptist Church. I stepped in there to play high school basketball and I met some people that day that are still my friends, including my oldest friend, Andy Lehman. And I went to high school there in the shadow of this church. They both shared a campus back in the day. And even back then, I considered a lot of you lovely people family. And today, it's equally um, awkward and beautiful that my kids are now playing with the kids of people I went to high school with because I'm not that old. Um, and then, I went off to college, and shortly after I graduated, I joined student ministry staff here at this church with my friends Jason Malone and Josh Amos. Both are still on staff. <clears throat> and I became really close with a ton of students and their families when I was a youth pastor here. And those people <clears throat> were different generations than the people that I went to high school with uh, many, many moons ago, which were also a part of this church. Um, then after student ministry staff, I went back to the school to teach high school theology and met an entirely new batch of students and their parents and faculty, also a lot of whom are part of this church family. And after several years there, I came back and I joined staff, pastoral staff here at the church where I've been, where I've been for 11 plus years. <clears throat> and what I'm saying is that I have been in the orbit of this church for 28 years this summer. I have spent <clears throat> Sunday mornings in the nursery with my wife, holding and rocking, yelling babies and trying to pray over them and not throw them, right? I've, I've taught in middle school <clears throat> and I've taught in high school. Uh, maybe I taught you uh, two and a half miles down the road at Southside Christian, go Sabres. Maybe we've been in Bible study together <clears throat> or small group together. I really love getting to hang out with our FG senior adults and sing hymns with everybody. And when Jason Malone <clears throat> came back on staff and I saw his girls for the first time, uh, Caroline Malone said to me, hey, Uncle Jim, and I almost lost it right there. Thanks a lot, Caroline, you jerk, right? <clears throat> right there on the spot. 
And so to me, for me, I know this is not everybody, but for me, every Sunday here feels a little bit like a good old family reunion with lots of new faces that we love. And I know that's not everybody's thing, but what I'm telling you is that there's something underneath all that that is not Jim's personal sense of family. It's the fact that I know that we're family because of how many of you have given your time and your energy and your resources and your wisdom for me for almost three decades. I'll never forget 10 or 12 years ago where Sarah and I were in a a tougher spot financially and I was praying on my way home from work and when I got home, I checked the mail and somebody had so sweetly committed a federal crime by not putting something through the mail system but just shoving it in my mailbox. And I opened it up and it was a tri-folded eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with a few hundred dollars in the middle and God had already answered my prayer and there was nothing written on the entire thing except the outside it just said Jim and Sarah. And on the middle section of that tri-fold sheet of paper in courier new font was Acts 2, 42 to 47. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing them all to the poor, to any who had need. We belong as a family and that means we sacrifice for one another. Next, and I'll be brief on these last two, I promise. Uh, Number three, we belong as a body and that means that we need one another. We belong as a body, and that means that we need one another. And here we can cut and paste and bring over Paul's doctrine of the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians and elsewhere. He talks about how there are different members of the body, like hands that serve and ears that hear and eyes that see and feet that go. But he says, Paul is quick to say, it's all just one body, And then he makes this funny like preacher joke in 1 Corinthians about how weird it would be if everything was an eye, like if your ears were eyes and if your mouth and nose were eyes and if your hands were eyes, then there would be no body. And his point is that we need each other's differences, each other's different personalities, our different upbringings, especially we need each other's different spiritual gifts, which we'll come back to in a few weeks. But all of that reminds me of the last word in verse 45 in Acts 2. Look down at the last word. It's the word need. We can read this verse 45 and think about what we should sacrifice for others so that they can be provided for, so that their needs can be met But what if we read this verse from the perspective of those who are actually in need? And maybe, perhaps, you have a genuine financial or physical need right now. Maybe that's your need. Or perhaps your need is emotional healing and intimacy because of father wounds. Or perhaps your need is that you're confused and grieving. Or you need interpersonal grace and kindness when you're in conflict because you fly off the handle. Maybe your need is deliverance from a sin pattern that you think is just a habit that people don't understand. And what you truly need is the perspective of someone else who isn't you who can see it and lovingly tell you that. And no matter what you need, God wants to meet that need by someone sacrificing their time and energy just like Jesus to walk with you and pray for you and help you out. What I'm telling you is that we were not created to be independent and self-sufficient, which means we're now set free to confess our lack and our gaps and our need and our blind spots. Very simply put, we are 
meant to experience our need for God by experiencing our need for other people. Feel that? We're meant to experience our need for God by experiencing our need for others. And this is just another reminder that we are intended to belong to God by belonging to others. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks so much again for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anybody who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org. Follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Grace and peace for your week. We'll see you next time.